out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family and is sponsored in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Sad Men for Lonely Women, because at some point or another, somebody stopped loving you. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you'll never discuss in a film studies course, except for this month, which is our anti-trash marathon in honor of Oscar and other awards. And we're going to be taking a look at the film Tangerine, a documentary about the synth-pop group who did the soundtrack for uh, Legend starring Tom Cruise. Or maybe not. Have you guys ever seen Legend? No. I've been wanting, yeah, where Tim Curry plays the devil. Yes. Yeah, I've been wanting to see it for a long time. Oh my gosh, that sounds insanely cool. <laughs> it's bad, but it's very, very fun. So, but we got to get on and we got to introduce the voices speaking to your brain um, around this table today. We're missing one Arthur Gordon. Uh, he's got some family stuff going on that he has to take care of, uh, his illness in the family. And so we miss him de- desperately and wish him all the best. But let's identify the voices. So we'll go to my right, sir, if you would. Hi, my name's Caleb Masters and uh, uh, Dustin. Dustin. I better get a freebie next time. Okay. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Ma'am, if you would, across the table. My name's Alexandra Bohannon, and you should consider some Tic Tacs. Yes, indeed. And also, sir, to my left. My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, you know I don't do downers. I'm an upper hoe. Fair point. I did know that. Uh, my name's Dustin Sells, and you can find me at the Donut King. And I'm so glad to be here with you all talking about this movie. It's going to be lots of fun. Now, we're going to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that means there will be spoilers once we get into our spoiler section. But we're going to avoid that the first part of the show, in which we give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then move right on into that analysis. So you have now been warned about that. But before we begin those reviews... We're going to have synopsis from the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A working girl tears through Tinseltown on Christmas Eve, searching for the pimp who broke her heart. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Guys, what do you think about this movie? I begin with you, Alex Bohannon. What do you say? I watched this movie on New Year's Day for the first time. Um, I knew that we were going to watch this for the show eventually, um, and I was not disappointed to see it again. This movie is fantastic. The cinematography, the choice of shooting it only on iPhone 5s, I thought that was with only... It's not just like I looked it up and like, okay, what if they're iPhone 5s with like the most expensive-ass lens you can ever acquire um apparently it did have a lens on it but it was shot using like an eight dollar app um and three iphone fives i felt like that gave this the perfect amount of gritty realism that this film does because it is a jarring but weirdly polished gritty realism oh no it's perfect how gorgeous the digital photography is glossy grit Yeah. yeah no um it is a gritty stylized jarring uh, abrasive film about this this crazy story something that i would have never experienced had it not been for this this film um it i felt like it's brilliant i feel like the all of the choices in terms of like cinematography and direction and everything fit the story that is trying to be told and i would encourage anyone to watch this even if you're into the the you know museum film art house movies or not i think this is it's on netflix anyone can watch it you need to watch it thank you very much miss alexander bohan and mr dalton stewart what do you say in terms of review i dug this movie a lot Uh, this film is so energetic and does such a good job of characterizing um not just its leads, but really everyone. Everyone feels very interesting and nuanced. And what starts out is a, a film about this uh, one character, Cindy, played by Kiki Rodriguez, really starts to spiderweb out um, in, in, into this this tale of uh, these different people and what they have going on in their lives. Uh, it really is just an emotionally nuanced film, but it's also fun and really, really fucking funny. This movie is hysterical. I, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, from literally the first second, I, I was losing it. I it was lost so funny. 
I, I laugh my way through the entire movie. Yeah, I mean, it's hysterical. It, I mean, even even like the family drama with uh, the Armenians is quite funny. Yeah, uh, Razmik and his his uh, fam- his wife and mother in law and their assorted friends. Yeah, I mean that whole ending scene. Like I could see it done at like purposely farcical on a stage like it is yeah. just like comedy of errors when it gets to that point i mean super dramatic family falling apart all of this stuff but i mean well and that's what works so well alex yeah, yeah. is is the emotional truth of everything that happens in this film plays just just plays so well in, into the the comedic timing uh and and the comedy i'm assuming a lot of the dialogue in this film was probably improvised just based on um how on the cheap uh, the film was made, uh, which isn't to say the film doesn't look like it was made on the cheap. I mean, it's a gorgeous movie. It is energetic. The score is fantastic. Um, it, just the, these great shots uh, of Kiki Rodriguez walking around um, West Hollywood um, while uh, it was West Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. Okay. Yes. Um, w- with this dubstep score going on, when she's just got her little backpack. Um, it's so I could watch like. I mean, well, uh, you almost do watch about 20 minutes of that. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and it never gets boring. No, no. it's, 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 it's always engaging the entire time. And, yeah. and just, like, they'll do something different with it each time. Like the time where she gets to the bus stop, she it's classical music, and then she's lighting the cigarette smoking, and she says, fuck it, throws it down, and it's wub, wub. Yeah, and, it's oh, so cool. It's perfect. Yeah, I, I, I can't say enough nice things about this movie. Uh, I dug it a whole, 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 whole lot. And if you are in the least bit interested in staying up to date on what is going on in the world of film, then you would be remiss if you did not check out Tangerine. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what did you think about the film? Uh, yeah, I want to agree with that sentiment. I think this is a, a masterpiece, honestly. Uh, it is, is a masterpiece unlike any uh, I've seen at least in the last several years. It's the greatest walk and talk I've ever seen because it literally is just people walking around L.A., just talking about shit that's going on in their lives, talking about the controversy, the drama, uh, you know, uh, where's where's my pimp? You know, all that all that good stuff. Hey, like, you think about a walk and talk. It's usually like politics or money. No, it's just people talking about what's going on with their lives. Yeah, exactly, I- exactly. And I I think the the use of the iPhone, the iPhone five, gives it this versatility and this gorilla style that makes it feel more authentic. I mean, and you and you talk about how a lot of this was probably shot and on the fly. People were just making improving. I think it's totally you're you're totally. I think. I think you're correct, and you know the it, it, because of that, it feels like a very organic film. I, I, I don't really feel like I'm watching actors. I, re, I I legitimately feel like I'm watching real people talk to each other, even though yes, they are actors. Everything just feels real, and I think it's telling a story uh, a, a story about uh, Los Angeles that we don't really see much of. I mean, with the the film industry being such a big emphasis there. Even though that's still present in this film, the emphasis is not on the film industry whatsoever. It's on the people who are actually living the day-to-day in parts of West L.A. We don't really get that in film very often. Usually, if it's a film about L.A., it's a film about filmmakers in L.A. trying to make their film or trying to get their break. Or it's uh, glamorizing uh, the Los Angeles uh, life, you know, high-end, wealthy lifestyle that we've seen a lot of. But this film... We're, we're looking at like uh, basically prostitutes. You're, you're looking at prostitutes who actually live there, and I mean, uh, a little, something I'll get a little more into my analysis though. I think there's a real authenticity there, um, and even ma- a little bit of a jab at Hollywood itself that it uh, really makes for an interesting story. But yes, I did not catch this film before making my top ten list of 2015, and I sorefully regret it because I do think this movie is one of the best. I think this is the future of film uh, as we see it with iPhones being readily available. We're going to get to see a lot of more interesting things from people from all different walks of life making full-length motion pictures, and this movie succeeds at that. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I would also say that I love the movie. It was great. It was so much fun to watch. I would echo everything that's been said around the table so far. There is this energy that uh, the uh, cinema- cinematography choices using the iPhones uh, does for the film. Uh, I think the performances are great. Um, there is this real, genuine realism. The, the characters feel inhabited, uh, partly because of great casting, I think. Um, they're, they're actors who are doing their acting, but they're also, I think, actors that are cast because they sort of are those folks. Kiki Rodriguez uh, used to be a sex worker, and so, you know, that... A certain amount of uh, autobiographical nature to that, yeah. Yeah, and and, and she brings that to her performance, and so brilliant. She's so good in this. She's a force of nature. Well, and what's what's great about the movie, it's so bombastic most of the time, but those quiet moments, they they do a great job of sprinkling them in, and then they're used with such great power. 
And uh, I think that's a lot of the value of the film uh, because of that. So there you go, dear listener. You, you know now where we're all coming from when it comes to this movie, and we are biased pro. Uh, we're going to get down to business, though, now, y'all. It is time to do some analysis. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. That's right, dear listener, it is business time. We're going to bring some analysis to this film, and I'm so excited to hear what my co-hosts have to say about this. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you got to say? Well, Tangerine uh, has been out for a while now, um, and I had, I had heard a bit about it. I tried to um, not spoil myself uh, too much. I kind of I didn't completely put my head in the sand on this one, uh, though, because it, it was getting so much talk that I was really kind of curious about it, and I wanted to hear more about the film. And, and, and a lot of what I've heard... Um, does focus on um, Cindy uh, and Alexandra, um, their two characters, and, and really just fascinating stuff that I've, I've heard and seen written about them. But I, I want to talk about Rasmick and Chester um, because, you know, uh, being um, a cisgendered dude, um, I, I am very fascinated by their characters um, and, and for very different reasons by, by Rasmick and Chester because Chester... Um, has no illusions about what kind of person he is. Um, I think he very much owns what a giant douchebag he is. Um, by the way, James Rab- R- Rascom um, is so good as Chester. Um, he fascinates me as a character because he, he uh, really just kind of owns uh, being abusive, uh, and his n- he he is exactly what you picture when you picture uh, a West Hollywood pimp, and at the same time, nothing like what you would picture. Uh, it's it's this kind of really surprisingly nuanced performance that while fitting a certain archetype it never feels like caricature um and then Rasmic is so interesting because he is not comfortable with himself uh, and his sexuality um whereas Chester Chester is like yeah I, I I like girls that also happen to have penises whatever uh and Rasmic also does and is very, there's a scene early in the film uh, where Rasmic picks up a prostitute and um when he finds out that she's biologically female, he's like, what the fuck are you? Get out of here. You're on the wrong corner. That that corner's not for you. Like, you just wasted my time. Right. Like, I just drove so far out of my way. And she took his money, too. Well, no, he got his money back. Oh, did he? He, he got his money back. But he was just annoyed because, you know, he'd spent what looked like, I mean, about half hour in film time trying to find a spot to uh, hook up with this lady. Uh, and it turns out she's you know, got a vagina. He's he's a little annoyed because she was hanging out uh, on the trans corner. And he was like, get out of here. At, but at the same time, he knows exactly what he wants, but is not, he's not out by any means. Um, apparently, it's no secret among the other cab drivers what uh, Rasmus gets up to, but he is definitely keeping it a secret from his family. Um, his wife suspects that something's going on, but uh, chooses to, to play, to turn a blind eye. And there's this really fascinating discussion of uh, gender, um, roles going on between Rasmick, his wife, and his mother-in-law. Because his wife knows something is going on, but because she is unemployed, uh, chooses to say, well, he provides for me and our daughter, so I guess that's all that matters. Whereas his mother-in-law is like, no, this guy's up to something, and I refuse to let him get away with it. Um, and it's just really, in the, and again, it all comes to a head at the donut time, uh, where Rasmic shows up and is like, hey, Cindy, how's it going? While she's in the middle of arguing with her pimp about his cheating ways, Rasmic is then shortly thereafter followed by his mother-in-law and then his wife, uh, who confront him about his cheating ways. Uh, And it is this really fascinating family drama uh, that also just happens to involve two transgender prostitutes, a um, cisgendered female prostitute, a uh, white pimp, uh, an Armenian cab driver and uh, his Armenian uh, mother-in-law and wife. It is just this weird, very much uh, constructed family, um, and probably the worst Christmas Eve any of these people have ever had. Correct. Um, and it's just a real bad fucking day for everybody. Um, but I, I was just really fascinated by by Chester and, and by Rasmic uh, because there is such a sadness to Rasmic that I, I found really moving. There's this moment. He has with Alexandra um, in a car wash where, where he pays her uh, for a sex act. 
and it's it was weirdly touching. I, I, it was there, there's a certain sweetness to the relationship, despite the fact that I mean it is a, a, a you know a cash for flesh business exchange. Um, but but there is they've both been having undeniably bad days. Um, and just because they are having a business transaction, the familiarity that the two of them have with one another kind of brightens both of their days in a, in a strange way. And I, I found that kind of moving. Um, and the, this little, she uses some of the money he gives her for the act to get him an air freshener because somebody puked in his cab earlier in the film. Um, and, and again, it's just this really beautiful and, and touching thing. And I, I've seen, like I said, I've seen a lot about this film, but I hadn't really seen any write-ups or heard anything that interesting about Chester Erasmic, and I, I would like to see more because I think there are two really fascinating characters, um, and particularly Rasmic more than anyone else, who um, has very specific sexual tastes, but also is not comfortable with them because I, th- and I think a lot of that being because, as one of the cab drivers other cab drivers points out he's lucky he's in America and not in Armenia. Um, and I think Rasmick knows that and he's having a hard time coming to terms with his uh, new identity as an American um, and his new, uh, well, not newfound. It seems like this has been going on for a while, I guess, but rather his, um, his sexual appetites. Um, it's just fucking fascinating guys. I really don't know how to put more finer a point on it other than, I'm very interested in his sadness. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you have? Structurally, this is this film is set up like a fairy tale using typical plotting structures and tropes and common symbolism found in fairy tales. Um, so it's your it's kind of your postmodern American fairy tale following our princess uh, Cindy, uh, which I don't know if you guys caught that it was short for Cinderella um, because it and if you watch the um, subtitled version of the film, which I tend to do, um, Cindy is spelled S I N hyphen D E E, and I was like, I wonder why it's spelled so. I mean, I wonder why it's uh, structured that way, but apparently Cindy is like shortened of her, the way she spells Cinderella. So in terms of plot structure, you have this main issue at play here, which you have a, a you know, you've got your princess archetype and there's always that moment, that turn, that subversion of expectations where she has to kind of return back to, you know, the place from which she come, she came, you know, the kind of her, her, her rags place, her, her hearth with all of the you know, the cinders and all of that stuff. But and instead of getting our kind of happier ending, we have that individual still in that place. And we see this within uh, Dinah's story and also Cindy's story. Uh, Dinah, for most of the film, wanders around with one shoe, an allusion to Cinderella, obviously. Um, and she doesn't find, you know, a prince charming. But whenever she returns to the sex den, which, you know, she she wanted to be working in this sex den in order to have money to, you know, make a profit. This is how she makes her living after all. Um, you know, with no judgment call on that, she just needs, needs this money. Um, she comes back to find that she's actually been replaced, which kind of brings you to this point of realization on her point that she's, she feels not only that she's not this unique person, this unique woman, um, you know, she's merely considered replaceable. Um, And then at the end of that scene, kind of demonstrating the contrast between this kind of typical fairy tale structure and what she's experiencing in her reality. She takes her other shoe and throws it across the parking lot, meaning she's like, Oh, she's done with, you know, feeling like she, um, is buying into this concept of, well, I'm just going to, you know, do my job and not acknowledge the fact that people find me just, uh, you know, objectified and things of that nature. Um, in terms of Cindy throughout the film, we, one thing that I particularly like about this film, we never really have mentions of her, you know, questioning her femininity, her being a woman. Um, she, she talks around the fact that she's dissatisfied that she was born with a penis, but she, she never really suffers prejudice until the very, very end of the film. Um, so this is her moment of, you know, this is her kind of leaving, leaving the ball, like, you know, the great big ball to finally have that, you know, wake up and crash of reality. Um, Whenever there are these three guys, they call her over. She just learned that her best friend cheated on 
her best friend cheated with her fiance, um, Chester, and that she's have, you know, probably the worst day that she's ever had in a long time. She thinks she might pick up a trick, get some cash, take her mind off things. And she gets a a cup of piss thrown in her face and she gets called, you know, a bunch of uh, terrible names um, due to her uh, nature as a transgender female. So um, this kind of then demonstrates the the return back to her reality, back to kind of the rag story. She then goes to the laundromat um, and then removes her hair and a lot of her clothes. And I'm not saying, don't think for a moment that this is like questioning her femaleness. I'm not saying that at all. But it is another similar trope of being awoken to her reality, which, you know, is the reminder of how society doesn't accept her as a woman, you know, because she is considered lesser than in, in about every context. And sometimes, you know, she's, she's able to kind of forget about that. But then whenever she has a blinding reminder, um, it just thrown into her face. Um, luckily she does have a bit of a happier ending than Dinah does because she has the power of sisterhood, um, which, you know, it, within fairy tales, you know, siblings are kind of a huge, huge part of fairy tales that you have kind of like a team of two siblings and they go out and venture together and they, you know, things may happen to them, but then they can always kind of return together. And maybe there's not a prince at the end of her story. Maybe she never really gets back with Chester or what have you, but at least she has a friend and a sister in Alexandra to, you know, take literally the clothes off her back and make her feel better about herself whenever she's been left with literally nothing. Um, so finally the stories of these two, uh, two different women, um, mimic that of the typical fairy tale. Um, but then waking up to their realities and w- not leading to, you know, a prince or a kingdom, but disappointment and continued poverty. Thank you very much for that fractured fairy tale reading of Tangerine. It's wonderful. Thanks much. Uh, let's move on, though. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis do you have, sir? So one one thing that uh, kind of came to my attention and this, uh, would be just kind of the portrayal of Los Angeles, like I said in my review. And I, I've spent my fair share of more than a couple of long weekends in L.A., and I haven't lived there uh, full time, as some of my friends uh, have. But I have spent a, a fair amount of time there. And something that really jumped out to me about this movie is this is a, a is really a down and gritty and uh, you know portrayal of the city that's not about not really about Hollywood. Uh, I mean, let, let's look at some other. I'm just kind of looking at other movies that are are, are quote unquote set in L.A. Uh, Heat, The Graduate, Clueless, The Big Lebowski, The Fast and the Furious. None of those movies are really portraying what it's like to live in L.A. And here's the thing about L.A. that I think you know a, a lot of people don't realize is if in L.A. if you're not super mega successful, you're broke. You are broke. The fact that I think I'm really glad that you pointed out that all most of these all or most of these characters are homeless because. It's really, really, really. It's a tough town to make it in, uh, and even if you have a house, I mean, even the and even the homes we saw in the film, very small, very tight and compressed. You have an Armenian family eating a dinner in this really, really tiny kind of kitchen dining room, and yeah, the house is nice, but it's just never. Uh, it's 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 everything small because very living space there's very ex- uh, expensive. So I really appreciated the portrayal of Los Angeles as an actual city, people just living there, living life, and yeah, it just happens to be transgenders and it just happens to be. Um, prostitutes um, but I think if you want to get the, the story of what people who grew up in LA is like this is probably going to be a lot more accurate because most people who live in LA are transplants um, and then if they don't make it they move back home so what does it look like if you're born and raised in LA and you're not in some well-to-do successful Hollywood family then you're probably doing a, you know you're probably work you're, you're probably running in the same circles as prostitutes and things like that not to overgeneralize but I think that's something that we don't hear about very often um, and, and, and it's really cool I've walked these neighborhoods several times there's times where I'm like I've seen that bench I know exactly what you're looking at this is, you, you, you see all these like really locally mom and pop shops and payday loans thing you know these are things that you you, you see in LA that's not on Hollywood Boulevard. Although we do get a, we do get glimpses of Hollywood Bo- uh, Boulevard as uh, you know, our characters walk up and down the Hall of Fame, you know the stars, of, you know the Walk of Stars or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really really interesting, uh, and just kind of bringing a different perspective. Uh, I think that something else that I, I thought was super important was the mentality of people living there. How many times in this movie was someone screaming for help and everyone just kind of watched? Like it's it's such a it's it's a commonplace thing because in Los Angeles as, as again as much as the claim and fame is people don't really like to get in anyone else's businesses anyone else's business 
Uh, it's very surf. Everything's very surface level. So hey, there's a prostitute getting dragged down the street by another prostitute. Eh, just another day in the life. Like these are these are the types of things you're gonna see in the in the parts of the city that make up most of the city that aren't the well-to-do parts. You know, I've, you know, you walk down Korea. I've walked around Koreatown. You see streets and you see stuff like this, and no one really cares. I mean, so it's just it, it's an interesting sort of kind of criticism or portrayal, really, um, of what is it really like to live in the slums of one of the most famous cities in the world. You know, this is this is the bread and butter of uh, – uh, this is Hollywood. This is the Mecca. But really, what does it look like to actually be live in Los Angeles? What are the actual what are the, out, what are the actual neighborhoods look like? It's a very big city, and we only ever see about 10% of it in the, in the, in the rest of Hollywood movies. So uh, not really so much analysis, but I do just – I think people, you know, who might be interested in going to L.A. or exploring L.A., definitely take a look and, and take a note uh, at the environment. I think there's a very smart use of things like subways. Um, like buses, things that you just don't think about, and I think it's 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 a lot of fun. I think there's something really cool to be to be explored there. If that's something that if if Los Angeles is a place that interests you, excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I want to talk a little bit about the film as its form and its production. Uh, we've already talked about how it was shot on three different um, iPhone fives and uh, using an $8 app and, I believe, a, a little lens attachment uh, to the camera, but pretty much just shot on an iPhone 5. Uh, there's some color correction that's obviously happened to make everything uniform, and that color correction choice I think is pretty brilliant. But what I love about um, this particular choice, and I, what I think is interesting, is because it, the, the, this is why digital media is successful. This is when we have those film versus um, you know celluloid film versus digital sort of debates uh, it, it, it's not better it's what what serves the purpose best and and, and the, the choice here with digital it makes it feel oh so immediate um, it less removed it is less glossy in some ways it does sort of catch a lot of the grit of the film it also uh, demonstrates I think something that's very important which is the democratization of uh, of the medium oh absolutely. You know, it, anybody can make a movie right now, and uh, you could make a movie on your iPhone, and that movie would be as good as Tangerine, or could possibly be as good as Tangerine. And it probably won't be. It probably won't be. But I mean, pretty theoretically, pretty, yeah, theoretically, one could. And I, I think just just that very moment there, this is a moment we're experiencing right now, which is very much like the French New Wave in the 1950s. Uh, what happened then was the invention of basically the Bolex and other uh, brands of 16 millimeter cameras that were portable inside of cars, and you could walk around on a street, and you would, and they would take their films to the streets and film, you know, real locations with real people. The extras would not be hired cast extras; they would be the people who happen to be on the street at the time while you're shooting your scene. And those choices in doing that gave those films a, a great energy and a, a great level of excitement that I think we're going to see more and more of uh, right now because of this sort of um, you know glut of digital media. We all we all have movie making devices in our pockets now, and knowing that um, it, it again makes for a very exciting time of film. And what this film does, I think, that's brilliant is that it shows the possibility of fully exploiting that medium instead of just trying to make yet another zombie movie or trying to make a, a movie that looks like a regular celluloid Hollywood film. Is, is That's not what you need to do with it. What, what was great about what the new wave did is they didn't try to make films that looked like all the other films that were being made. They were, they were polemical. They were actually raging against what cinema was doing at the time. This film is a polemic, um, not just thematically by the use of transgender um, actresses, but also so because it is um it's polemical against just the very style and production values of standard hollywood saying you don't have to submit yourself to those values and still make something wonderful well yeah and i think it's in fact it's so subversive that the academy totally ignored it this year in its nominations that it didn't get a best cinematography i mean even though the the nominees for that category are incredible i mean this movie is cutting edge cutting edge i mean it doesn't get any more you made it on a freaking phone i mean and it didn't it didn't get acknowledged it's too it's it's too too ahead of the curve for hollywood right now Absolutely, absolutely. So anyway, I, I love this film, and part of why I love it is because I do feel like its analysis is in terms of another historical moment, and we might be entering into a moment of another American new wave, uh, like the new Hollywood, and I would love to see that You're happen. making me so excited right now. I just can't contain myself. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we, we can only hope. So well done, you all, for making the film, and uh, keep making stuff like that. There you go, dear listener. You've now heard all our analyses, and we are so glad that you've stayed with this, we're going to take just a brief break and hear a word from our sponsor. 
Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Have you ever found yourself yearning for the glorious moments of your past? I know I have, but we can't offer that to you. But we can give you the next best thing. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness, a collection of the most shared, viewed, and favorited articles from SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness is available over at Amazon.com. Pick up your copy today. Well, the dream's in the ditch. Now the kids are all pissed. But it's not new to hate what they make you do. Well, we've now reached the point of the show in which we render a verdict shelf or trash, and then our else's or instead's. I'm very excited to hear what my dear co-hosts have to say about this, although I think some of those... Um, Aspects might be a bit predictable, but we'll see how that works. Uh, Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? Shelf or trash? And what's your else or instead for Tangerine? Yeah, I know. Absolutely shelf this movie. This thing, I, I said my review. I think this thing's a masterpiece. It's an absolute must-see from 2015. No question about it. So so I'm going to give this film 12 crying Armenian babies out of a possible 12. <laughs> uh, else, I'm going to recommend to go along with my kind of portrayal of Los Angeles, a couple of films that I thought did that really, really well in recent years. Uh, first being Nightcrawler, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, which also showed a lot of L.A., parts of L.A. that you don't see. Also, Drive, because... I want to recommend Drive all the time, and that actually is another film that looks at like these lower-class income neighborhoods in Los Angeles, so really cool there. And lastly, to go along with uh, Dustin's analysis, I would highly recommend the 2011 documentary Press, Pause, Play, which is a documentary about the democratization of technology and filmmaking. Excellent. I like those picks very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Show for trash, what's your else, or your instead? I, I'm definitely going to shelf this film. Give me a criterion release for this. Damn it. I want one. Um, yeah. So whenever I will get this on my shelf in whatever form that may take, I, I honestly don't have things like it's really hard for me to categorize this, this film when doing unique things with, uh, filmmaking, I would recommend boyhood and, I, I'm really coming with the loss with, uh, anything else to recommend. I'm sure the things that they say are going to be great. Thank you very much for that confidence, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, Tangerine is certainly shelfable. It is uh, a really stunningly good film. I would give Tangerine um, nine um, citrus air fresheners and uh, taxi cabs out of a possible 11. Um, to pair with it... Um, Earlier this week, uh, before I watched Tangerine, uh, I had to watch Training Day. Um, so I think it'd be – they're quite interesting pairing. I mean, because I, I honestly did pair them uh, quite by accident, but I did. I watched them a, a day apart, um, and I, I think they do make for interesting material. Obviously, uh, Tangerine um, showing you uh, West Hollywood and um, Training Day focusing on South Central Los Angeles um, – but yeah, they the two very different portraits uh, of L.A., uh, but both uh, featuring uh, cops essentially saying, do you want to go home or do you want to go to jail, which made me laugh really hard. Um, I, I liked to picture uh, Alonzo Harris and um, the, uh, Officer Hoyt um, on, on uh, Hoyt's training day being the uh, cops that come across Alexandra fighting with the uh, the douchebag and that was a Jetta, I think, which is funny because mm-hmm. I drive a Jetta. Excellent, excellent. I like that very much. I am also going to say shelf, but I will give a caveat to the shelf admiss of this film because it is a film um, shot digitally, uh, much like David Lynch's Inland Empire, in which, or even um, Children of Men, which. It's wonderful to see. It is stunning what they're doing with the camera, but you don't want to buy a Blu-ray of this because you just don't want to pay that kind of money because it's not worth it for that. You want to get this film on DVD uh, specifically, I think, as far as uh, your you know physical media uh, form of possession. Of course, if you you know download it from iTunes or something like that, uh, that's that's a fine way to get it as well. But yes, absolutely, shelf the film. So, so you think it should be watched in standard def? Yeah, I think so. I, I I don't think high def would help it at all. I think it's just you're paying for something you're not going to need. Right on. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As for my um, well, I want to give it a rating. Oh, I want to give it a rating of ten poignant, meaningful exchanges of wigs out of a possible ten. And that was so beautiful. That was God. sweet. 
So my Elsa's, I'm going to recommend Breathless. Um, Also, perhaps you can check out the first episode of the film syllabus and hear Alex and I talk about Breathless. But it is that moment of the French New Wave. And I also want to recommend the No Wave movement of American film and Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise uh, of of the early 80s. And I think uh, both of those are excellent pairings and they're a good way to contextualize what this film is doing as opposed, um, as not opposed, but in... um, comparison to a few other um, significant moments in cinema history. So there you go, dear listener. You've now heard our analysis. You've heard our shelves and our trashes. We are going to move right along into our game this week, and I'm very excited to say this week's game is going to be tons of fun. Watch out for it. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. This week's game is a special 2015 extravaganza brought to you all uh, from your good trash hosts, uh, in which we are going to give you uh, an, our best of 2015 list, our top fives. We're going to go around roundtable style, going five, four, three, two, and one. So here we go. We're going to do this. Um, Arthur is going to be uh, broadcasting live uh, from his hideaway in the uh, Cone of Silence in the Antarctic, where he and Kal-El are practicing um, their Superman tricks. And uh, very, very excited uh, for him to be there. Uh, so, Arthur, what's your number five pick? I want to kick off my uh, top five of 2015 with a movie that is just a boatload of fun, and that is The Kingsman. Or, and that is Kingsman, The Secret Service, directed by Matthew Vaughn, starring Colin Firth, and Sam Jackson, and a host of others. And it is just a load of fun non-stop action so funny uh, i think it works on every level it is just a blast and is easily the best spy film to come out in 2015 excellent mr caleb masters what's your number five pick number five ex machina because holy crap oscar isaac as evil steve jobs is fantastic i think it's a really great picture that is articulating uh, that is uh, wrestling with the questions of whether or uh, what defines sentient life and how we should treat our own creations excellent thank you very much what's your number five pick miss alexander well, Bohannon? mr masters read my notes because mine is also ex machina i feel like this film um not only does everything that caleb has already said i feel like it also has a great conversation with subverting exactly what we think that film is going to end because if you haven't seen it well no spoilers but you think it's going to end a totally different way and then it just punches you in the face and it's amazing and i am very thankful for that film i was enthralled um and i was shocked as well as uh kind of kind of frightened actually so that's that's my uh number five pick thank you very much miss alexander bohannon mr dalton stewart what's your number five uh, my number five is uh, brooklyn starring Susha ronan which is just a Fucking a lovely little movie. Um, I had absolutely zero interest in Brooklyn uh, when I first heard about it. I started getting a pretty solid critical buzz, and I frankly thought it sounded kind of boring. And I'm, I'm glad my cynicism did not win because I absolutely adore this movie. It is gorgeous um, and moving uh, and just, just so goddamn pleasant it hurts. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for that pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My number five pick is... Uh, a German film called Phoenix, uh, which is shades of Schindler's List meets Vertigo. And uh, because it is a sort of post-Holocaust, I almost said Hollywood, which would be a very, very strange thing to say. Um, it's a post-Holocaust film uh, in which uh, a survivor uh, has been disfigured, and so she no longer looks like herself, and she's not recognized by her very, very bad husband. Who um, and, then, and then there are machinations of acting um in certain ways to um basically she rehearses her just like jimmy stewart and kim novak in vertigo very fun recommended highly let's move on to our number fours mr arthur gordon what's your number four pick uh at number four i want to throw train wreck into the mix uh judd apatow and amy schumer's collaboration uh starring bill Hader, and it is just so much fun it's a really smart romantic comedy uh, i think for the majority of the time I'm not entirely sold on the way the film ends, uh, but I like a lot of what's happening. Amy Schumer comes off as a star. John Cena is a blast in his mini role that he has here. And Bill Hader is just top-notch. So top to bottom, a lot of fun. Uh, and thought it was a really good comedy for this year. What a miraculous number four pick, Arthur. 
Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you pick for number four? Uh, number four, a movie I caught late in the game, The Big Short, which is the the uh, the movie looking at the 2008 crash of the housing market. Uh, really fun. It's a really, really sharp comedy. That uh, It's a really sharp comedy. It's really, really funny. But it's also dealing with a really heavy subject matter uh, that is uh, something that is very, very relevant to how we all live our lives today and has actually put our country in the situation it's in. Uh, the acting is absolutely top, top notch, uh, and I can't recommend it more. Uh, very, very glad that to, to see it kind of make the get the Oscar push there because I think it's a very worthy movie. And God, man, God, it's just smart writing, smart writing all day long. Excellent, excellent. Alex Bohannon, what is your number four pick? My number four pick is actually really relevant to this episode. It's Tangerine, motherfuckers. I really, I, I mean, I love this movie so much that I would watch it and again in a heartbeat. I've already seen it twice this year so far. So um, we just listen to this episode. If it sounds like it's for you, it's for you. Then uh, definitely go out and watch it. And all of the things I've already discussed make it my number four pick. Excellent. I like that very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what's your number four pick? Uh, my number four pick is one of many Lego sequels uh, and one of two on my list. Um, and it is uh, Creed, which is a film that I don't feel like is it's been kind of dismissed because of the, the nature of it, because it is the seventh entry in the Rocky franchise. But it is so much more than that. It is a story about fathers and sons. It is a story about race in America. It is a story about personal triumph and personal dedication to believing in yourself and love and god damn it it's so good excellent thank you very much mr dalton stewart my number four pick is a hungarian film called white god uh yeah i've been meaning to catch up with this oh it's so good it's it's a it's a dog revenge film uh the dog is abused and Django comes unchained and um does crazy things to his abusers with a full-on uh pack of other dogs and it's not about dogs it's about race and immigration it's brilliant and i recommend it very very highly moving right along to number three mr arthur gordon what's your third pick yeah number three i'm going to highlight what we do in the shadows another comedy this has been a pretty comedy heavy list for me uh which is kind of unusual uh but what we do in the shadows is i think brilliant in every level it never overstays its welcome it is just a phenomenal premise, the idea of this uh, kind of real-world MTV thing with vampires. Uh, I greatly appreciate that. Jermaine Clement, Taika Wati, uh, also a director and writer for Flight of the Concords, the TV show on HBO. Um, they just have a great chemistry. They're doing everything really well. It's a movie that just never overstays its welcome, and I really appreciate that about it. What an inspired choice, Arthur. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you choose for number three? Uh, my number three is actually Pixar's Inside Out. I think this movie is incredible. I think it serves a very valuable function in society. It's a great way for parents to talk to their kids about their emotions. Uh, I think it has such an intelligence and creative edge to it that I, I, I really do think when we look back at 2015, this is going to be a year where we say this is the year Inside Out came out. It's also the best film Pixar has done by a long shot in at least the last five years and I would make a, sh a very strong argument that one of the most important films they've ever made uh, I think everyone should absolutely everyone across the board should absolutely go see it no matter what age no matter where you're at in life I think this is a, this is a very valuable watch so that'll be my number three Dustin thank you very much Miss Alexander Bohannon what do you choose for number three my number three is uh, Mad Max Fury Road a film that uh, gave no fucks and is still nominated for best picture it is um, a well, you've probably already seen Mad Max Fury Road. You should know the cinematography fee is brilliant and that the uh, casting choices are inspired and it has a great conversation about uh, femininity, um, disability, and just so many other things um, that are just make this film worthwhile. So check it out for sure if you haven't seen Mad Max at number three personally. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Dalton Stewart, what's your number three pick? I think things are going to start repeating themselves. Uh, my number three has already come up. It is Alex Garland's directorial debut, Ex Machina. Um, hey, Alex Garland, thanks for writing Dread and Sunshine and 28 Days Later and then making Ex Machina. You fucking rock, dude. Um, I can't say enough good things about Ex Machina. The sound design is amazing. Every step that Alicia Vikander takes, there's this beautiful whir that happens just right underneath everything. Um, Oscar Isaac gives a performance that is both sinister and charming. 
um, and the th- by the second or third time you watch it, it's his film, and you you want nothing more than for everything to go his way, which is uh, really telling because the first time you watch it, you really don't know how you feel about him, and frankly, you're not wild about him as a human being. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My number three pick is a French film called Girlhood, and uh, the sort of a sequel to Boyhood, only much sadder. It is a Banlieu film. Those are the Parisian suburbs, which are unlike American suburbs. That is where uh, your immigrant communities and your uh, sort of racially um, mixed communities are located. It's about a young girl of probably Senegalese or Congolese uh, immigrants, um, and she is um, just dealing with the life in that situation, and she gets, she falls in with the street gang and gains confidence and sadness, and uh, in so doing, sort of begins to grow up. There actually is a moment where she just grows up, and brilliant, brilliant stuff. So uh, check it out and uh, watch it often. It's very, very good. Well, let's move on around to number two. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what's your number two pick? Yeah, my number two film of the year, uh, I believe it's already been brought up, but it is Spotlight, um, Tom McCarthy's poignant, important film with this focus on investigative journalism. I think is just so powerful. I think it is so timely. I think it works Great. It's such a subtle film, so nuanced, featuring a wonderful ensemble led by Michael Keaton and Mark Ruffalo and Stanley Tucci, all just knocking it out of the park. I really, really I was just moved in the theaters when I saw it. It has just stuck with me. It has such a had such a lasting impact. Arthur, your your picks continue to wow and inspire me. <laughs> I did not see that one coming. No. I, I did oh not God. see that coming, Arthur. Holy crap. That's just exciting. <laughs> We're making much of the joke. We don't hear Arthur saying his words right now. Mr. Caleb Masters, what's your number two pick? My number two pick is a film called Spotlight, a film that is about the uh, the Boston Globe's discovery of the phenomena of priests molesting boys in particular, children, boys in particular. Uh, wow. Wow. Which what? ended up being a worldwide worldwide uh, phenomenon. God it was they, they discovered it in, in in Boston, but it was a worldwide phenomenon that had it, it infiltrated something like nine percent of priests. It uh, was it was it was like a, a, a catastrophic number. Uh, just talk about uh, in an, an era where I feel like journalism is dying or dead. This is a film that is saying, "Hey, no, this is really important." We are. We need people, truth seekers, who are going to go out and find truth it, that the world needs to confront. Investigative journalism is not just important; it is vital, vital to society. And I don't feel like there's been a lot of films in recent years kind of highlighting the importance of journalism. So, I, therefore, that is my number two pick. Excellent, thank you for that, Miss Alexander Bohanna. What do you select for number two? My number two pick is Inside Out. Um, as we have discussed previously with Caleb, um, it does lend itself not to be just a poignant picture of uh, you know being an adolescent girl um it it also gives keen insight into emotional health and emotional intelligence in a way that uh, psychologists and and social workers have been using this as a tool um to help their their children their child's uh, to help their patients be more emotionally aware um for which i think is a service that this film deserves to be um on the top of every list that it, it could possibly be because it's so useful and just powerful Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you select for number two? My pick for the second best or my second favorite film of 2015, The Dew The Bullet Farmer, The People Leader, Immortan Joe, Nux, Toast the Knowing, Cheeto, God Damn, <sighs> The Splendid Anagra. These are the names of characters in a film that came out in 2015. It is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, everything about this movie is bitchin'. Um, it's beautiful. It sounds great. Um, it is so goddamn dangerous and exciting and thrilling. And the fact that somebody in their their seventies made what is potentially one of the most thrilling action films um, of the last fifteen years is. It's really something to, 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 to behold. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My number two selection is a British film called The Duke of Burgundy. And uh, yes. Peter Strickland, great. Just just great. Um, Wasn't uh, Barbarian Sound Studio uh, your number one the year it came out? Correct. Yeah, I thought so. So, yeah, I mean, he's up in my wheelhouse. Strickland's, uh, man, 
Dude's got game. Yeah, he can make some good movies. <sighs> What's great about it's 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 a love story that's not quite what you think at first, and then it breaks and twists in an interesting, interesting way. It's got these homages to Stan, Stan Brackage experimental films. There's so much moth light mm-hmm. on top of this. It's just it's so much fun. It's brilliantly shot. It is interesting and uh, a little disturbing, and I like that about it. So that's my number two selection. Hey, Dustin. Mm-hmm. Would a human toilet be a suitable compromise? All right, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Moving right along to what, the, what we've all been waiting for, the number one picks, the best films of 2015. Arthur Gordon, what was the best movie last year? All right, guys, my number one pick is Bill Poland's Love and Mercy, starring Paul Dano and John Cusack and Elizabeth Banks. It's a beautiful, touching film uh, about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys covering two different eras in the 60s and then the 80s and the troubles that he faced and the things that he went through. And I think it is just so moving. And I think it is easily, easily one of the best uh, film biopics uh, of the last, I don't know, uh, decade or so. I think it is just great on every level. Dude, that's amazing! I am moved to silence. That's bullshit. <laughs> that's bullshit, Arthur. I call shenanigans on that pick. Collusion. Excellent, excellent. Hollywood foreign press fraudulent motherfucker. <laughs> All righty, Mr. Caleb Masters. What was the best movie last year? Mad Max Fury Road, motherfuckers. This was the greatest movie ever. Uh, well, greatest movie, <laughs> the greatest movie ever from 2015. Um, I'm a fanboy, but here's why. I, I think uh, even uh, approaching this film, it is visual storytelling in a way we haven't seen done. These people don't talk hardly at all. I would say haven't seen done in a while. A long, long time. A long time. Uh, at least in blockbuster uh, cinema. Certainly this in is studio in, filmmaking. In, in studio filmmaking. You see visual storytelling on a very subtle level. This is a very people don't talk much in this movie, but their actions, the little the the, the, the tiny little hints, the fact that Furiosa doesn't have an arm, they never acknowledge the fact that she's she's missing an arm, or that she's a woman. It's just, just a really great movie and it telling you about uh, an entire culture, and a culture that is derivative of our culture and the collapse of our environment. I mean, all sorts of brilliance all wrapped up into one package that is action-packed to the max. No pun intended. Hey. Excellent, excellent. What's the best movie last year, Alex? I think the best movie last year is The Big Short. Not only are the performances giving, uh, given in this film enlightened, you see so many sides. You see sides of Christian Bale and Steve Carell um, that giving these grade A, and Gosling, of course, giving these grade A performances that you just would not necessarily expect, and they're just fantastic. But the uh, choices by um, Adam McKay, I was going to call him Adam Lingard. The choices by McKay to use his kind of renegade documentarian, um, uh, almost office style filmmaking, I think is just absolutely inspired. And I think that it conveys this, the subject of the film in a way that it needed to be treated in this way. And I feel like I, it's one of my favorite movies of all time now. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What was the best movie last year? Uh, the best movie of last year was a film that, uh, people were really into and it came out and then just completely forgot about and that is Denis Villanueva's uh, Sicario which is the most stressful fucking movie of 2015 uh, it is a movie that it is impossible to get comfortable during because you are constantly uh, on pins and needles it is formulaic and at the same time completely against the grain um, it, it is a beautifully shot film uh, thanks in no small part to cinematography um, Roger Deakins. Yeah, it was Roger Deakins. I was about I, I was about to say right. Thank you, Caleb. I was about to say Roger Deakins and then second guessed myself. Yeah, uh, Deakins is great. the The score of this film is astonishing. Emily Blunt gives probably one of the best performances I've ever seen. Benicio del Toro gives one of the best performances he's given in years and years and years and years. And James Brolin um, does something that I don't think I've ever seen him do. Um, this This is a an underappreciated film. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. I also like to champion films that I don't think people are seeing enough, and my number one selection is an Argentine and Danish uh, co-production called How Ha, starring uh, Vigo... I never get his last name Mortensen. right. Mortensen. That's him. And uh, I just... I, I, I always add extra Gs. I don't know why. I just do. Parmesan Mortenstern. Par- yeah. But Vigo is great. Uh, it's, it's, no, it's a wonderful... It's like a Western set down in Patagonia. And, yeah, you were uh, telling me about this. And there's this moment when the film breaks... 
like Ingmar Bergman's persona, like Mulholland Drive, like the rewind moment in Michael Haneke's Funny Games. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. It's 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 it's, it's, it's genius from the get go. It's it's this great tableau bit of cinematography. Uh, it's shot in a regular four three um, aspect ratio, and they've rounded the edges so it gives a sort of age. Say four three. Uh, yeah. What I say? Yeah, four three. Yeah, like old like pre HD television. Yeah. Oh wow. And the edges are rounded. Oh. Which is interesting. So it's like yeah, okay. And every shot's a painting. I mean, really, literally, I mean, it, it's tableau-style filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You could frame every single frame of the film. A- after it breaks, something else happens, and I won't give a spoiler there. But uh, I wouldn't say so much at that last bit. But it's so good. It is so good. It is so good. you got to watch this movie. It's worth your time. All righty. Well, we're going to move on uh, with one more bit of selection because I know there are so many great movies out there. There's so much stuff that we'd like to talk about. And so we're just going to give a quick list. We're going to add your syllabus to your listener with just a quick list of our honorable mentions. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your honorable mentions? All right. My honorable mentions? Man, okay. Let me just throw a few titles out here. Uh, Slow West has to be on there. Phoenix, Room, uh, The Revenant, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, uh, The Gift, uh, Joel Edgerton's uh, directorial debut, which I think is just a super taut, solid thriller. Those are some of the things I think you should be checking out uh, that were some standout films from a really good year of 2015. Well, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Moving right along, uh, Mr. Caleb Masters, who are, who are or what are your honorable mentions? Well, I do want to do a quick uh, shout out to an article I actually posted on the website, goodtrashmedia.com, where I did kind of a mini list of uh, genre films you probably missed from 2015. So these are not included, but I did want to kind of point you to the website. Check that out. Um, on, my li- on my list today, I have Anomalisa, Straight Out of Compton, Crimson Peak, Beast of No Nation, and Predestination. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that. Miss Alexander Bohannon, your honorable mentions, please. My honorable mentions are uh, Trainwreck, An- Anomalisa, it follows and Sean the Sheep the movie because that movie's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your honorable mentions? Uh, my honorable mentions, most of which are just my six through ten. And if you want to hear more about my thoughts on these, um, I will have a uh, proper uh, top ten list article on uh, goodtrashmedia.com for you to read. Uh, but uh, some of my honorable mentions are It Follows, Slow West, Spotlight, The Martian, The Wolf Pack, Crimson Peak, Inside Out, Beast of No Nation, and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Oh, and Bridge of Spies, which I can't believe didn't get more love at this table. Oh, yeah. That's it's, a great, really, it's a good It's a really movie. good – it's an old school, just a good old-fashioned great Spielberg film. Yeah, and I think that's why it's not getting as much buzz because yeah. it's a good old-fashioned Spielberg film. But it's still great. Well, yeah. Watch it, please. Please. Uh, my honorable mentions are, uh, well, Tangerine. Yeah, uh, for Tangerine sure. for sure for uh, me as well. Sorry. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That was last year, dog. I think as far as the release title. Nah, that's 2014, Was homie. it really? Yeah. Oh, I was looking at the releases, and I thought it would count. But nah, that's 2014, Yeah, dude. you still need to watch it. And um, I'm also going to mention Inside Out, because I definitely think it is worth your time. And and that's it for me. So thank you very much, dear co-host, for that. We're going to have one last category of selections, and that is our biggest disappointment of 2015. Mr. Arthur Gordon, where were you let down? I think for me personally, the biggest disappointment has to be Brad Bird's uh, Tomorrowland, which I think just had so much potential with Clooney and Laurie, and it just falls apart. It's so, so disappointing that it didn't deliver more, and that has to be my biggest disappointment of 2015. I'm sad for you as well. Mr. Caleb Masters. What is your biggest disappointment of 2015? Well, I had a couple. I was thinking about this, and there, I, I wasn't super let down by a lot because my expectations this year were have just, just. I've just decided to like let expectations exist in a low bar, not because I'm not excited, but because otherwise I get disappointed. But I had a couple that were churning my brain. One of them being the Hateful Eight, which you can go listen to us do a, a full roundtable with all of us uh, at this table talking about that film with guest uh, Nick Sanford. Uh, that was a pretty big letdown. But you know what? There was a there was another one. I thought Jupiter Ascending because Cloud M Atlas was one of my favorite movies of that year, and holy shit, like I just moved me in a lot of different ways. And Jupiter Ascending was not that movie remotely, and it wasn't The Matrix, and it wasn't even uh, whatever. Speed I think Racer. it's underappreciated. Oh boy, it's We're, better I, than agree Speed to disa- Racer. I, 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 oh, ooh, ooh, agree I, to disagree. Agree to I, disagree. Agree to disagree. I just wanted, you know, I, I feel 
very strongly that it's not as bad as people made it out to be. I it's, tried. I tried to sing it from your perspective. I saw that after you talked about how I should give it a shot, and I did, and I was it just didn't work. <laughs> oh, uh, it's but not, it's not for everybody. But the real letdown, ladies and gentlemen, Spectre. This movie had all the makings of the ultimate James Bond movie. It had the same team that brought us Skyfall, in my opinion, the greatest or at least top three greatest Bond movies ever made. It, it, they had the same team. You had Sam Mendes back as director. You had Craig back as Bond. And you say you're going to cast Christoph Waltz as the bad guy. The man is born to play a Bond villain. And you're like, hey, we're going to like tie up all the loosens from these other Bond films. We're going to hint at it in these trailers. Ooh, yes, I love this. This is going to be great. We have Dave Bautista as a bad guy. Just like the... So much potential. So much potential. And this movie fails on nearly every level. Craig seems like he's phoning it in a little bit more, although he's still decent. It just feels like he's going through the motions. Christoph Waltz, I don't... He's better in freaking the Green Hornet as a bad guy. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, who hurt you this year? Well, I really... I will echo Caleb's uh, honorable mention, uh, biggest disappointment pick of Hateful Eight, because I just really expected more from Tarantino on this movie. I mean, I... I uh yeah we you can hear full disappointment on that episode of Back to the Movies I'd encourage you to check that out but I think my actual biggest disappointment and you guys are going to laugh but it's Black Mass because no, that's a, that was a bad movie. A reasonable. That's no. actually an honorable mention. Oh, for really? Me. Okay. No, in terms of biggest disappointment. Yes, yes. Because no, fuck like, that movie. No, because it it just had all the makings. Because it's like I know Johnny Depp really wants to be this character actor, and I and I love mobster movies. I love mobster I movies. I do too, man. And and it's just it has all the makings, and it has Benedict Cumberbatch. And like I'm a huge Benedict Cumberbatch fangirl. Like it had it was all there, but it nothing ever came together. And I left that film being like. I, I couldn't think of nothing but prosthetics the entire time. That is one oh, of God, the least cohesive movies. Oh my gosh, that film. I think I've ever seen. Oh God, it is. It was so disappointing, and I just I had such high hopes. The trailers were really cool, and it just never delivered on any of those. I think it was one of those trailers that was cut. That every cool thing that happened was in the trailer. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Dalton, who hurt you? Well, a lot of people hurt me, Dustin. Um, one of them uh, was Colin Trevorrow uh, with the endlessly stupid Jurassic World. I hate how much money that movie made. Um, I mean, it's it, it, it's not even that the movie itself is that bad. Um, it's just that I, I it's not the kind of movie I want to make that much money because it's just really, really stupid. Jurassic World annoyed the shit out of me. But really, uh, my, my biggest disappointment uh, this year was uh, Neil Blomkamp's Chappie which is a film I like more than a lot of people. Um, I mean, there are people who hate this movie. I don't, I don't hate it. I, I just I, I shake my head and, and wonder what the hell went wrong because there are things about it I really like, but overall it's just kind of a clusterfuck. Dustin, who hurt you? We, we know who hurt him. I don't, don't do I need to leave the room? No, no. <laughs> All right. Okay. I mean I was let down by Star Wars. Oh. Not, but not but that's not what I'm gonna select. Okay. I mean, I, it wasn't Fair the enough. it wasn't the biggest letdown. I mean, because overall it still is a fun and enjoyable experience, and you can hear everything I have to say about that on our Back to the Movies episode in which we talk about Star Wars. Uh, and also I have an article where I talk about why it's not as great as you know people think it is. Um, my big letdowns really are in terms of sequels. You know, legacy sequels, um, not specifically, but uh, in that Jurassic World was a big letdown. I, just like you said, Dalton, I really wanted more, and it, I did not get more uh, from that. Also, Terminator Genesis, Ugh. you know, Ugh. let me down. It really did. I mean, it was fun. It was okay. But it really, I mean, I wanted so much more, so much better, and it just did not manage to do it. But the real big disappointment for me this year was Avengers Age, Age of Ultron. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I totally <laughs> forgot about the, that in my letdown list. It, well, isn't that funny? That's why it's the biggest letdown, because I totally forgot, forgot that movie, it. this movie came out this year. Uh, I was, uh, Dustin very nearly put it on uh, as one of my letdowns because of that. I mean, and it, it's not that there's anything particularly wrong with it. Whoa, no, there's a lot wrong with it. Uh, no, I think it's fine. Um, yeah, this is very, very disappointing. You know, like I said, I don't, I don't expect a lot from comic book movies, but I don't expect to be bored it, it it's what well it's what pushed me over i don't care about marvel anymore like i'm just done i'm just I'm uh, over that's it. kind of fatigue. that's yeah I, I i've been for three years now have been the one at this table saying i don't have superhero fatigue yet um and dustin's been saying he does since we've been doing this show pretty much but yeah no age of ultron kind of did it for me too where i was just like 
I, I guess Avengers really was our apex. Like, it was all leading up to that, and I, I don't think it's going to get any better than that. Um, no. Well, there you go, dear listener. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your suggestions for top five films, your big letdowns, your honorable mentions, all of that good stuff. And you can do that via those magical memes of social media. We're found at good underscore trash on Twitter. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com stroke good trash media. Also, you can just go to the good trash media.com website and find us there. Rate us on your iTunes, your Stitcher, give comments, commentary, disagreements, you know, um, Submit your subpoenas, however you whatever you want to do, uh, all through those magical means of social media. And look out for next week's film. Um, we're going to go right into this. Um, we're not doing Fired Up this week because we have a long game, and we're not going to do Fired Up anymore. And so this is goodbye to uh, the Fired Upness uh, right here, right now. But hello to next week's film, which the is... The roof will always be on fire in my heart. Correct. Uh, next week's film is a pick from one of our patrons from Patreon. Sam LeCape uh, has selected that we should watch Zoolander. And so I'm sorry. What, what, what did you say? What did you say? Zoolander? Uh, what? I want to. No, I'm going to start saying it that way from now on. Zoolander. 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 There you go. We get the accents. Dare leak my balls, pal. Zoolander. And uh, we're going to have a good time talking about Ben Stiller, I guess. So there you go, dear listener. You are going to check that out. But remember this. Whatever you watch, movies are so much more than 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. There's so much more fun to be had. And that fun is found in the conversation. So keep talking, and we'll see you next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Kick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.